Welcome to Life Turned On, where we share and celebrate the stories of sexual self-discovery in midlife and beyond. Society tells us women's sexuality ends once she reaches a certain age, her body changes, or even when she reaches certain milestones such as motherhood or menopause. They want to turn us off, but we are committed to living life turned on, full of pleasure, deep joy, and an authentic expression of self. Listen in as we share stories of women who are ditching old scripts to pursue their own path to pleasure in their lives and their sexuality. I'm your host, Shauna Stewart, and I want you to get ready for honest conversations, practical advice, and inspiration along the way, because here at Life Turned On, we believe that pleasure is our birthright and the time to claim it is now. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Life Turned On. Today, we get to chat with Katie Nelson. Katie is a recently divorced, well, not technically quite divorced yet, but soon to be, but she's also a dog mom to Kiefer and Orion and someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for the past couple of years through social circles. We bonded early on back in the day because she used to work for a direct sales company where she sold sexual wellness products to Midwestern women in their homes. And we've had a few good chuckles about how times have changed and the products have evolved over the years. So welcome, Katie. I'm so glad you're here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, Thanks. No, that sounds good. Awesome. So uh, several months ago, you were sitting on the couch in my living room. And as most conversations do with me these days, the conversation eventually turned to sex. And you shared that you were living in a sexless marriage, but obviously now you're not. So we have a lot to catch up on. But for the benefit of our listeners, can we talk a little bit about why your marriage was sexless? Yes. So um, when I first got with my husband, I had experienced about a two-year period of being single that was very negative for me. I was drinking a lot and looking for love in all the wrong places, and I experienced uh, some sexual assault related to drinking. Um, So it wasn't aggressive. It was more um, just I did not have the ability to consent. Um, So that had really turned me off from dating people. And uh, my husband was very kind and loving and generous. And his sex drive was a lot lower than what I would have normally been okay with. But I think I just felt so like protected. Like he wasn't going to put me in a situation like that, no matter what happened. Mm -hmm. And um, we fell in love. And then things actually started to decline. So I was doing my direct sales business at the time and he was not interested in using any of the products. So that probably should have been a red flag, but I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. Um, I'll deal with it. And basically it just continued to get worse over time. And for some reason, I decided that that was something that I was able to accept in a marriage. Unfortunately, the marriage ended for other reasons. But now that I'm out of it, it really baffles me that I even accepted that for so long and realized that it was a much bigger problem than I thought it was. Previously, had sex been a big part of your life or important to your personhood and who you were? It was, but I feel like I 
didn't have a strong gauge on how much because of my age. So I had dated somebody very seriously in college um, for about two years, and we had sex probably every day, but uh, we were also uh, 20. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did, so I didn't know if that was kind of normal. And then I met him when I, I met my soon-to-be ex-husband when I was 22. So, okay. um, so I think that was part of it too. I wasn't really sure what was normal for me just because I think I had just um, kind of assumed, you know, getting older that maybe it would, it would fade away, but that was not the case. I found out later. Yeah. The desire was still probably there, but just buried for so long. Did you feel tension during the marriage of wanting it more or was, did you just fully bury it and kind of disconnect from that desire? Uh, no, I made him aware of it. Um, as soon as I realized it was an issue for me, um, like I said, at the beginning, it wasn't, and we actually did have sex at the beginning, but it seems like the more I expressed the problem, the more I got blamed for the problem, mm -hmm. which, um, was inaccurate. Um, my drinking was blamed and then I quit drinking. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so then, um, I lost, um, a bunch of weight and, um, sex did increase during that time, but, um, I was diagnosed with a couple of conditions that caused me to put the weight back on. And then recently before we got divorced, I had started to lose some weight and it had increased again. And that actually made me really upset because I didn't think that that should be a factor, um, considering that I was that weight when we were married and that I don't, he, he chose me at that weight. And so I shouldn't have to lose weight to increase the amount mm -hmm. that we have sex. Did your weight ever bother you or was it just a bother to him? It only bothered me from the perspective of that I want to be a healthy person. Uh -huh. So um, when I did lose weight um, most recently, I was actually focusing more on taking care of my body than actually losing weight. Yeah. Um, I had started going to the gym to improve my mental health and had also started to eat better just because I wanted to take care of myself. And weight loss was, um, you know, a happy side effect, but I felt very comfortable with who I was. Yeah, that's awesome. It's one of the things, and I've said this before on the podcast, but body image comes up so much. And what's interesting in the data and the research is it's not what your body looks like, but it's what you think about your body and how you feel mm -hmm. about it that impacts your sex life. So if you are perfectly happy with your body, regardless of um, shape and size, then it can lead to a lot of great sex, but regardless of shape and size, if you feel crappy about your body, it's going to create a lot of distance and people shutting down and pulling away from each other. So it sounds like you've always had a pretty strong body image. So that wasn't necessarily on your side impacting your sex drive. Yeah. And I do think he started to erode at it a little bit just because I knew that it was a factor because I have definitely gained more confidence about it lately, but I think it was more, I think in my body image was still probably above average compared to a lot of people, but now it's probably what I would consider very healthy compared to just being above average. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
All right. So now you're in the process of divorcing and getting to explore your sexuality in a whole new way, which I'm excited to dive into. Let's start talking about orgasms. How have orgasms changed for you in the past few months? Well, I had originally thought that I was only able to have uh, clitoral orgasms and I had shared that with my partner. However, through sexual interactions that he was interested in, I found that I had an orgasm by accident, which is always wonderful. But I've realize that I'm, I am actually able to have G-spot and vaginal orgasms. And not only had I not experienced that with my husband, but I hadn't experienced that with anyone before because I did have, um, you know, prior sexual experience before my college boyfriend. And um, it was the first time anybody had done that. And I think it was a lot based on I feel so comfortable that I can just let go and not think about, like, I don't have to think about the mechanics of what's happening. Obviously, I'm thinking about my partner and I'm trying to make sure that he's being pleased. But other than that, that's pretty much all I have to think about anymore just because I feel more comfortable. Whoa, that's a huge deal. It's interesting because I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's this interesting dichotomy with orgasms that the more you think about it, the less you're likely you're going to have one. Yeah. (laughs) And then like when you said, oh, it just happened by accident, I'm like, yeah, that probably makes sense because you weren't expecting it or waiting for it or super wound up or anxious about it. And then the relaxation and that ability to receive can really lead to that pleasure component as well. So yes, that's neat. So feeling relaxed, feeling confident, anything else you kind of feel contributed to this new orgasmic discovery? Yes. Um, I had not ever been with a partner that I felt comfortable sharing kind of like, I don't know, I think as women, we sometimes think about them as like dark secrets. They're not Mm -hmm. really dark at all. They're just preferences that maybe not socially normalized. So I found out that my partner was open to some of the same kinks that I had. And so we started experimenting with some really, I like to call it BDSM light yeah, (laughs) because, um, you know, just starting to dabble in it. And then I actually did a little bit of research on it because I kind of like to, I know a lot of people don't like to label themselves. I kind of like seeing what other people are labeling themselves as so I can understand how I fit in. Uh And and so um, I realized that my partner is probably what most people would call a soft dom, and I'm mostly what people would call a brat. So usually me trying to convince him that I uh, need some sort of punishment and him having to be reassured that it's okay to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but once once he, uh, once he realizes that that's okay, um, he actually enjoys it as well. So yeah, we both just shared things that we had thought about doing. And I just got really lucky. Our sexual chemistry is very strong and we have the same like complementary preferences. And so every time one of us has brought something up, we're like, yeah, So it's just that I think is luck, but also just feeling comfortable enough to even have those conversations because I probably Mm -hmm. could have had that in common with other partners, but I never discussed it. 
Why do you feel so comfortable with this current partner? So the first night that I met him, I had relapsed from drinking and I met him at a bar and he was sober. <laughs> I'm a recovering alcoholic and uh, he's a recovering addict. And um, from the moment I first saw him, I just felt like the way I told it to him is he had kind eyes. I just felt an instant connection with him Uh and, but I was actually already flirting with a girl um, at the bar. And so the three of us decided to go home together and I just felt so safe and so respected because that's obviously a situation that when it happens organically and it's not really talked about beforehand could kind of get out of hand. Yeah. And so I felt instant, like, um, just comfort in a situation like that. I feel like people don't talk as much, but he was still willing to, you know, make sure that I was comfortable with everything that was happening. Um, especially since he was sober and me and the girl had been drinking. And then a lot of people say it's like love at first sight for us. It was a uh, love at first intercourse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when we had sex for the first time, we both kind of distract described it as like fireworks going off. Whoa. It was, it was like very shocking. Um, to feel that way in that sort of situation and just really intense eye contact, which is probably not um, typical in that situation either. And we both just feel like everything faded away, unfortunately for the other person that, that included them. So it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the most comfortable thing to happen, but we started talking days after that and just, yeah, it just felt an instant amount of trust. Um, Also because I was getting honesty from his end too, though. Yeah. Was that when the vaginal orgasm happened for the first time or did that come later? Uh, That came later. So actually the threesome is now quite humorous to us because we um, still associate with the other woman involved um, and um, none of us had an orgasm. It was kind of a drunk, drunken mess, Uh (laughs) but but it did kind of set off a very positive chain of events. So were you guys three strangers that met at a bar or did any of you guys know ahead of time each other? Uh, We were all acquainted uh, separately, except for Nate and I, which um, is the the odd part. So the woman that I was with, um, I had flirted with her over several different occasions. And when I got to the bar that night, she instantly started flirting with me and we started hanging out. So I didn't know her well, but we had definitely talked on several occasions. And then I did not realize that they were actually somewhat friends. Uh, Um, Yeah, because I was kind of the driver behind it. But um, I guess part of the reason they agreed so readily is because they were familiar with each other. Interesting. Threesomes tend to be one of the highest rated fantasies for most people. Uh, I think like 70% of people have had threesome fantasies. And yet it's one of the least acted on fantasy. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because it can be very complicated. The more people, I mean, it can be complicated just to get two people in bed, let alone like each time you add another body, it's going to get more and more complicated <laughs> and yeah. looking for like multiple ways of connection and communication and then just the logistics of it all. Um, so that's interesting that that all worked out for you in that way. Have yeah. you, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I guess, Works out in the fact that 
it didn't end horribly, but yeah, it wasn't probably the most exciting experience for all of us just because it was, if if it were to happen with a lot less alcohol, I think it would have been a lot more enjoyable, yeah. but yeah. Have you had threesomes before? I had once, I had once had a threesome and then another time I had had a foursome. So my uh, soon to be ex and I actually split up in 2019 and I moved out actually in the same apartment that I'm in now. (laughs) And during that time, I legitimately thought that we were getting divorced. So in my mind, we were completely separated and I had been interested in um, ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. And so I decided to explore both. So there was a couple that I met online and they were the first uh, threesome that I had. And I think I've just been so extremely lucky. Mm. They were two of the kindest people that I've ever met. Um, When I showed up at their house, I was very honest. I was very nervous and that I'd never done that before. And they were like, that's okay. Like if nothing happens, we can just hang out and watch TV. You know, they're like, do you like the office? And I was like very, (laughs) very like surprised by that. But I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, let's just put it on in the background. And, you know, if we end up just watching that, that's fine. And if something happens, that's fine too. So we kind of agreed to that. And then we just started talking about ourselves and our preferences. And it seemed like there was some compatibility. And so it started very slowly, suddenly the opposite of my most recent experience. Uh-huh. It was um, a lot of communication. And um, yeah, it was a very positive experience for me. I know that jealousy can also be a factor. I think that in that situation, they were both excited about me. So me being kind of the third person in that situation. Mm -hmm. And then they were also very comfortable in their relationship. So there wasn't any on their side either. So that was a very positive experience. When I did have the foursome, though, it was with them and an additional woman who I had been dating. Um, She was actually married, but everyone was informed of the situation. So, you know, she had permission and was polyamorous and I liked her and the man in the other relationship was very interested in her. So they ended up doing things a lot together. And then I was with the other woman a lot and there wasn't a lot of like four-way interaction, which I was really hoping for. So I did develop some jealousy. And so I think it just kind of reminds, reminded me that like conversation is really important. I don't know if the other couple understood the nature of our relationship. And so Mm -hmm. I think that is kind of probably what it stemmed from. So it wasn't a bad experience, but it did just remind me that even though it's an exciting sexual fantasy, talking about things beforehand is really, um, I think people think it's a turnoff, but honestly, it makes it better in the long run. Yeah, I talk about that a lot in the shop about consent conversations. I think that like we grew up with Carrie, oh, what's her name from Sex in the City? Bradshaw. Oh, Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah, Carrie Bradshaw from Sex in the City making this big declaration of like, I don't want you to ask for consent. And I was the same way, like to my husband, the first time he asked me to kiss him or asked to kiss me, he was like, is it okay? For-? And I was so mad that he asked me. And now it's such a powerful practice to be able to have conversations and know what you're agreeing to. And it's super empowering. And then it creates a container for freedom and expression and knowing, making sure everyone feels like they're on the same page. I'm curious about the jealousy component. Was the jealousy component 
a relational dynamic where you felt like because the person, the woman you went in with was playing more with somebody else, it was taking something like from your own relationship or was the jealousy kind of coming from like a, this experience isn't playing out like I had hoped? I um, So I didn't think it was taking away from our relationship because I mean, she was married to somebody else. So I knew that she wasn't exclusively with me. I think it was more situational where it was just kind of like, hey, what about me? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing, because I was actually probably the least interested in the person that I ended up spending the most time with. So I think it's what you said more that it didn't play out how I had expected. And I also had really hoped to experience the dynamic of like four people all interacting together. And it ended up being more like a couple swap type thing. And so yeah, so it was, which I think is a subtle difference, but um, yeah, it it definitely um, triggered jealousy, which really, really surprised me because I was not in any sort of exclusive relationship with any of them and everything was, you know, out in the open as far as that goes too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So aside from really good communication, would you have any other tips. I know this isn't exactly like advice column time, but having gone through a few different experiences, if you're talking to a girlfriend, what advice would you have for somebody who was interested in pursuing that? So I think communication is definitely the number one thing. And if that was the only thing that you did, then it's probably going to turn out well. However, um, what I did find, especially with my most recent experience, is that all the people involved were very inexperienced. And so I feel like that made it a little less enjoyable because the first time I walked into two people who had a ton of experience and were able to guide me through it. Mm -hmm. Um, The last time, I'm not really sure if the woman had had that experience before she said she had, but then didn't really display behavior that she had. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. I think it's kind of good to maybe look into what you might be interested in trying before entering that situation. Because if you don't have anything that you know you want to do, it can kind of be awkward, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even just looking at like positions or suggestions online from, you know, people that have tried it. Um, There's um, when I did sell direct wellness products, we had a sex position book and it included um, multiple people. And so I think things like that are just helpful to kind of give you idea of where to start from. If you feel like you have to be the leader or nobody's really going to stand out as the leader, Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of give you a place to start from. I don't think that's a requirement, but I think it just kind of helps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on my sex educator certification and there was a good chunk of time we spent on (laughs) fantasies and then as a result, threesomes and so forth. And one of the things that he was talking about with like threesomes or group play in general is that everyone, everyone uses the same word threesome, but everybody also has a very different image in their mind of what that means like whether it's one person receiving all the pleasure or if it they want to be in a giving position or what their role is, what the overall dynamic is. And so when you talk about communication, I think it's really important to really kind of think deeply about what it 
means or like what you're hoping for out of the experience and then being able to talk about that so everyone kind of gets what they're hoping for out of it so yeah i would yeah i would agree so yeah i guess it's just communication beyond what you might normally think of because i think most people are familiar in you know like a male female relationship or you know if they're LGBTQ plus, you know, female, female, male, male, whatever they're used to. But whenever you change that, then it can be a little bit daunting um, because I also don't have a lot of experience with women either. So I remember when I was driving to the couple's house at the first threesome, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I look up like what you should do when you give oral sex to a woman? Like I could have, <laughs> I could have found that on the internet. So um, this is actually really funny, and I love telling people this. Um, In the movie American Pie, the first movie, they're all trying to lose their virginity, and one of the characters' brothers gives him a page out of this, like, guide that his, like, older friends had made, and it tells you to um, do the alphabet um, on the woman's clitoris, and that's the only thing I had ever heard before, so that's what I did, and it worked. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. That's amazing. Well, I, you know, I had... uh... Uh, I went on a girl's trip a few years ago and somehow sex came up and this is long before I was in this industry in any way, shape or form. And one of the girls said that, or women said, that's how I learned about sex is through watching sex in the city or television. That's where I got my sex education from. Like nobody else is talking about it or where else do you learn or I guess, yeah, you could Google a lot of things, but that's a lot of what is forming our ideas around it and even our how-tos and so forth. So being able to have access to different resources and like you said, like position books or yeah, other things that can inspire ideas and stuff. Anything else you want to say about threesomes? Because I want to talk, I want to go back to the kinks um, when you're ready. I think- Yeah, no, I think that's it. Okay. So you said you're in a relational dynamic where he's like a soft dom and you are a brat. Can you kind of define those? Sure. So just based on my research and also kind of how we both feel about it, when I say that for our situation, I mean that that a soft dom is somebody who is still dominant, but Um, It usually doesn't bleed into the actual relationship because some people who are into BDSM have it kind of, it's their whole relationship and their whole life. You know, like they'll have a contract with that person. That person will be submissive to them in public or in their home. And our agreement is only um, in the bedroom. I'm not a submissive person in general um, as far as in life. Uh And that would not work for me. And usually people who are considered soft doms only want that relationship in the bedroom. So that is very compatible with how I feel. They also do enjoy um, inflicting pain, but they care too much usually. And Mm. so sometimes they have trouble actually doing it and they have to be reassured that that is what they want. Because a lot of times um, it works really well. Um, Like I said, the dynamic between that and a brat because a brat is probably more defined as somebody who actually like wants punishment. Some people in the submissive relationships uh, specifically follow rules or listen to the dominant person to avoid punishment. Whereas with me, like I like 
the pain that comes with it. So it's actually a kind of a good combination because um, when we talk about it outside of the bedroom to kind of reassure each other and make sure we're on the same page, I reiterate the fact that like, he's actually almost never as aggressive as I can handle. Mm. Um, You know, he's always worried that he hurt me. And I'm like, no, you can go like, you know, twice as hard next time. Or So it's actually been quite a bit of experimentation to get to a level that we both feel comfortable with. So I don't do it as much now that we've been dating for a little bit longer. But at first, I would specifically say stuff to him that would like make him fake mad to, yeah, to, um, you know, to kind of encourage the the punishment um, aspect. And I think that's uh, why somebody would identify as like a brat. Um, there was a meme I found that I sent to him and um, it was the fire was a uh, dom and there was a person pouring gas on it. And then the person pouring the gas was labeled as the brat and the gas was labeled make me. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, there's a lot of that, you know, he'll be, he'll tell me like, something to do and I'll say no or you know make me or you know he'll say I you know I'm gonna tie you up and I'll say you know prove it or things like that and um, a lot of people who are more dominant would not enjoy that why I also kind of say that we do like a light version because it's definitely they're both kind of on the um, I guess softer side of BDSM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm so glad that you brought that up because kink has such a broad range of play. Mm -hmm. And it really is a place where grownups get to play. It's like creating your own playground. And like you've been talking about, you're creating these character dynamics that come out in this very safe container. And every couple or partnership, however many people are involved, get to co-create that together Mm -hmm. in a really cool way. So I appreciate you talking about that. I'm curious when you talk about pain, do you, in your body, do you register the pain as hurtful or do you register it as pleasure? A little bit of both. It's almost like it happens within a split second where it starts as pain and turns to pleasure, but it happens so quickly that if I had to pick just one, I would lean towards pleasure. But I think, I don't know what it is about the way my brain works, but it gets, it keeps me in the moment. Cause you know, I said I was able to like let go and relax. And um, sometimes if he's not, you know, exhibiting that side as much, that's when I kind of have to try to get him riled up because I know that I'll kind of just like check out or not be able to focus on it. So I feel like it almost like, makes me able to focus on something that's not distracting me from what's happening. Yeah, it becomes like a big sensory experience. And then the power dynamics as well can very much keep you in the moment. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many women are drawn to it. It's one of the things that I see in my shop a lot is if there's a heterosexual relationship, she tends to be the one driving the interest in BDSM or kink related activities. And I 
my um, hypothesis on it is because we are so desperate to get out of our heads. <laughs> and it's a great way to be able to do that because you're not thinking about the grocery list if you're in the middle of impact play. So, Yeah, well, and I agree for frequency. So sometimes, and we've definitely um, had intercourse where there is almost no BDSM play. And that's usually like prolonged being turned on over a prolonged period of time is usually when I don't need that pain to get out of this situation or, you know, to, or to stay in this situation. So for example, like we were out one night and it was like a friend's birthday and I was like ready to go home and play and we could not leave because we didn't want to be bad friends. And so by the time we got home, I was so like ready to go that we didn't need that aspect. But I would say that that obviously we could just operate that way and be fine. But if we incorporate it, we're able to increase the frequency for both of us. And that increases the amount of pleasure that we are both able to experience. Yeah, that's cool. I'm just like processing all of that. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> so is there anything else on your like sexual bucket list that you're hoping to experience in the near future? I don't know if it's anything specifically on the bucket list. We've just talked about that we don't want things to fizzle out. We don't want this to be a honeymoon period of a new relationship because my partner has a very difficult time orgasming because of some medication that he takes. Mm -hmm. And um, just in the past too, he hasn't had a lot of compatibility with his other partners. And so we both have, we both feel this way that it's kind of, you know, a new positive experience. So um, we more just have agreed to discuss things as they come up and try to be honest with each other, but also be willing to say no to each other so that we can both continue to be happy. So, you know, if he comes up with some crazy idea, I'm not going to judge him for it, but I might say no. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, same, you know, same thing. And then, um, recently to, um, he wanted to feel more comfortable in our relationship before, um, having another threesome and he didn't think it was ever something he really wanted to do again. And, um, we have discussed that as well. And we actually have, I guess, kind of like a pre-date, uh -huh. um, on Saturday with another woman to see if that's something that we would be interested in, but we're definitely exploring dating together at this point. We don't want to do anything separately. Yeah. Well, and that's what the other thing is just like kink is totally customizable relationships and relationship models are very customizable as well. So whatever works for you guys is what works. So, all right. So I'm wondering if you were to fast forward to the Katie of 10 years from now, what do you hope that she will know about herself by then or take away from this time in your journey of sexual self-discovery? I guess it sounds kind of cheesy, but I want to know everything about myself. And um, that might sound like a lofty goal, but I feel like I'm really trying to explore that, not just in my sexual life, but in my mental health and just what I need as a person. I feel like uh, going through a divorce really made me able to focus on myself and what I need. And a lot of people have expressed concern of being in another relationship so quickly, but it is not the same relationship in any way. It is very much, um, this is what I want. This is what I need. And I like you. I don't need you. Um, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you're here for a long time. 
but mm -hmm. um, we're both trying to focus on ourselves. So I hope that in 10 years, that will still be the same case that my partner is here because I love him and he makes me happy not because I need a partner. Mm. And I think that's probably what I've learned the most about myself is that I need to be comfortable being alone if that's the right choice and not saying that that's my hope because I do hope that we're still together in 10 years but that it's because we still enjoy each other's company not because we're dependent on each other in a negative way yeah having two whole people coming together and <laughs> coming together um, but <laughs> creating yes. a partnership together that's really neat well I sure appreciate all of your time and all the storytelling today. I think a lot of it is going to really resonate and benefit our listeners. And is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? Um, I did want to mention one more thing about um, BDSM, especially if okay. somebody's interested in it and isn't planning on doing a lot of research. I think it's really super important to have multiple safe words um, mm. because that kind of goes back to what you were talking about. Uh, sometimes getting consent can be a turnoff. I think you should have communication before, but once you're in an established relationship, having a safe word is kind of a really quick and easy way to do that without disrupting the moment, which is why we have more than one. So our first safe word is yellow. And that just means like slow down or back off for, you know, for example, like, let's say he was spanking me and he hit me as hard as I was able to handle. I might say yellow because I don't want him to hit me harder, mm -hmm. but I don't need to stop. Mm -hmm. um, so that's convenient because I've probably actually used that fairly regularly and not in a bad way, just more like, okay, that's my limit. Don't go farther. Yeah, Otherwise we will in. have to stop. Yeah. yeah. And then red is just an instant, like, you know, I'm triggered or I didn't like that. Or for some reason I need to stop. It might even be like, I have to use the restroom and I don't want to like tell you that right. in the moment, you know? And so that's been really beneficial. And then also um, with his nerves, we have done some breath play. And so we also have a tapping signal yeah. um, in case for some reason I'm unable to speak. I just tap him in a way that we have agreed to so that he can pull back on that as well so that it's safe for everyone involved and that I think it's it's good to take care of yourself and be safe but it also makes it more exciting like I said using yellow and not having to stop yeah I like that a lot and I think that you having a nonverbal communication tool is really smart and then asking questions such as like what will you look and sound like if you're enjoying it and mm -hmm. what will you look and sound like if you're not enjoying it? And that takes understanding your own body. So having some experience, so starting slow, but then it also helps because if we do lose our ability to use verbal communication because there's too many, you know, gooey chemicals going on in our brains and I'm not talking alcohol, but just all the hormones that get released yeah. and you can just be a lot of people call it like subspace or flow state being able to have other ways of checking in with each other is really smart. So I really appreciate you adding that on and bringing that up. Yeah, the tapping I have actually used when we weren't using breath like because yeah, for some reason, I just it was like you said, I was in that headspace where I didn't feel like I could speak, even though I wasn't my, my breath wasn't being restricted. Uh -huh. And um, so I tapped I tapped him and he was actually like, he's like, are you okay? Could you breathe? I was like, yeah, I just couldn't talk for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, it's always good to have a backup. 
Yeah. Well, very good, Katie. I really appreciate you being here. I look forward to chatting with you again soon, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this story, I hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Please share it with a friend to keep the conversation going and leave a review. That would be super helpful. We invite you to follow us on Instagram at Life Turned On Podcast. And if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at stories at lifeturnedonpodcast.com. And the next time you're looking for lingerie or sexual wellness products, I hope you'll consider shopping at lingerboutique.com so we can continue to normalize rest and pleasure together.